0: To another episode of the Emerging Excellence Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Felicity Fury, founder of We Aspire. Super excited to be here with Brett, the CEO of Qleaf. Been listening along over the last couple of episodes. You know a little bit about us. You can check out our bios as well in the notes. Brett, awesome to have you here. We've got another exciting discussion today. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready, Felicity. Great to be here. I'm uh, having a lot of fun. And importantly, I'm actually learning stuff as we're going as well, which is very important in respect of what we're going to talk about today because it is an ever-evolving thing, managing talent.
0: Absolutely. And there was even one little comment you made a couple of weeks ago around there's three ways to answer a question and it keeps getting stuck in my head you said you can say you don't know I'll find out you can tell people the answer or you can say I actually can't tell you the answer and I thought that is just brilliant and there's just been so many little nuggets along the way I wish I'd known that earlier and been able to say to people I can't tell you rather than just blag it and be inauthentic which is a core value I know that we both share so hopefully we'll get some good nuggets today Brett I reckon we will we're talking all about talent pipelining so If you are an executive leader or in a leadership team, this is probably something that is on your mind, you've thought about before. Talent, actually, we heard from a CEO just this week. He said that's always on his list of things to worry about. And if you're an emerging leader, we hope this discussion today can be valuable for you in your career planning and thinking about how you might fit into a succession planning process within your organization. So Brett, to get things off, how do you think about talent pipelining? Do you call it that? Do you call it something else? How do you how well, do you go about it?
1: Look, I call it succession planning. And that's probably because I'm older and old school. Um, and the way I think about it is is not dissimilar to the way that we've spoken over the last couple of episodes, Felicity about legacy. I, as you know, I'm really passionate about the role of a leader is to leave an organisation in a better place when they leave. And I think talent is a really important part of that. I see that my role is to make sure that when I move on in any organisation, there are people that have the best opportunity to try and step into the role that I'm leaving um, rather than always having to go external. So I look at talent management or succession planning as how do I make sure that I leave an organisation in a better place with the right people who could potentially step into the next role. That's the way I look at it. What about you?
0: Mm, I remember the first time I took on a leadership role and my mentor and the chair of our advisory committee said, you should always be thinking about who the person succeeding you is as soon as you go into the role. And I thought, really? Do people think about that from the beginning? And there's been countless leaders I've spoken to and they go, yeah, and people and they take it really seriously. And that was quite a surprise to me. It wasn't something I'd considered. I thought, oh, I'm in the leadership position okay now what and I love that perspective of thinking so far ahead into the future so if I think about it a bit like I mean I'm an engineer so I'm going to probably you know use an engineering analogy a bit of a procurement process and one of my advisors said to me we'll look thinking about how do we get more women into engineering and he said if we think about it like he worked in defense so he said think about it like procuring a submarine That's like a 10-year kind of plan. And again, it just shifted my perspective of it's a really longer-term idea and concept when we're thinking about pipeline and thinking about retention of people. And for me, that was unfamiliar. I thought about it, you know, it used to be like a quick thing, like, oh, okay, the next year or so in my planning. So um, think about it from that long-term perspective. If we were procuring a big submarine, we'd actually be planning it 10 years in advance. And looking ahead and beyond myself as a leader, but in a whole range of different roles. So,
1: yeah, I I think that's spot on. And I think the other important thing is it's not just about the long term. I like to break it down into how do I make sure that I give people the opportunity to step into the role that I want them to potentially fill over the short, then the medium term, so that when the long term piece comes up, as you're talking about, Felicity. We've actually got somebody that can potentially do it. And we'll get into that later on as we talk about, you know, what phases there are, et cetera. But I think we're on the same page there.
0: Yeah. And have you seen people do this successfully in your time, perhaps some strategies that you've implemented yourself or other organisations that you've seen do it well?
1: Look, I'll talk about a personal example. So um, I'm a big believer, and you and I have spoken about this over the last you know, a couple of episodes, in, an, in an, um, an employee value proposition. And I guess one of the things that I always like to make sure that there is in an employee value proposition is an Emerging Leaders Program. And so I've been in organisations that have had Emerging Leaders Program and specifically in, in one organisation where where I was the sponsor of an Emerging Leaders Program. Um, that worked really well. And the reason that I talk about that is we were able to identify people who we thought had the potential to be future leaders. We put them through a really, really rigorous program over 18 months. And the reason that I know that that was successful is at the end of that 18 months, every single one of those people in that cohort got the next job at the next level. Now, that in itself, I don't think is necessarily demonstrable of something being success. But what each of them actually said is that they grew themselves as a leader as a direct result of being identified helping, being supported through the um, Emerging Leaders Program, and then actually feeling comfortable and confident enough to go to that next, that next step. So that's where I've seen it work really, really well. What about you?
0: Well, I remember a really big mistake I made personally on succession planning, and that was when we were running Power of Engineering. We'd been a few years in, all of the volunteers quit. It was me and my co-founder, and I we thought, okay what are we going to do here should we can the organization but women engineering is something we're so passionate about so we couldn't we thought we have going to figure out a way to keep to keep going and we actually had a hr person and this was awesome because we've been working with engineers a hr person who was working for a construction company said well why don't we do a succession plan to rebuild the organization let's focus on people first now, that sounds really obvious now, but at the time it was revolutionary and we got out a huge whiteboard and she said, okay, well, you've got your core leadership team here, but let's work backwards through all of the different phases. And I think taking that big picture approach was really helpful and having multiple opportunities of where people could come through. So you weren't in this scarcity mindset of, oh, wow, okay, people have left or I've only got one option. And that was a really powerful way. I'm so grateful we had that opportunity to rebuild from the beginning and you don't often always have that because you're usually working with existing businesses and teams Um, but we got to start it from scratch so I feel like that was really helpful because we got to put in some key things like um, okay this person needs to sort of have this kind of training to be in this role how do we find them what are those key things that we're going to look for almost like a puzzle and then as we met people along the way who wanted to volunteer with our organization we could plug them in in those key parts and then also have a bit of an idea of where we wanted them to go as well so that was a really helpful process to be strategic about our
1: planning and I think if we get back to where we've both seen it work successfully I think the key thing is there has to be a commitment to actually do something about succession planning or talent management if you don't have that commitment then you're going to do it lackadaisical you're going to do it on the fly and what I've seen not work well in that situation is there is not that deep embedding of it there's not that deep ongoing demonstrable commitment to actually growing the talent either within or external to your organisation. And then it means it's not going to work as well as as you want it to. And, you know, you you used a phrase, which I really love, which is putting your people first. I think, you know, in my experience, putting your people first, first is not just a word. It's not just a phrase. It's the ongoing day to day, every single thing you do, where you've actually got to be able to say to them, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want you to be brave. I want you to be bold. Think outside the box, put your hand up, have a go, and we will support you. And, you know, we've spoken over the last couple of episodes about giving people the safe space to fail. I think talent management and succession planning is a really important part. You've got to make sure that you give your people the ability to feel safe to fail.
0: Mm. And we get trained at school. If you fail, you're an idiot or if you get the question wrong, yeah, you're an idiot. And so then we often bring that into, into work where if we know from our leaders, hey, this might take you a couple of times to get right, you might stuff it up and that's totally okay. That's part of the learning process is making those mistakes and learning from it and even saying, you know, that mindset of it's a key part to your success to give it a go, have it not work, go back and, um, again and again. Um, There's a great quote, I think it's, you know, Winston Churchill, um, it's it's not about how many, you know, whether you're successful or not, it's about having the courage to give it a go. And I think it can be courageous of both the leader and the employee to go, okay, let's actually look at where we can try these skills out and keep going.
1: Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. Um, Now, you're an engineer. We all know that you're an engineer. I'm going to ask you a question. What phases, because you will have phases, no doubt, that you use as part of talent management or pipeline, what phases do you go through or do you subscribe to in respect of talent management?
0: Well, this goes back to my diversity days of how do we change the the you know talent in engineering. That's a pretty big question. So I like to think about it from an attraction perspective then retention, and then developing people as well beyond that. So they're the kind of three buckets that I put it put it into, and there's different things within that. So when we're attracting, um, when it comes to different talent, it's really investigating what's important to that person, why do they want to be there, really selling, like you said, that um, value proposition of the organisation and aligning it with that vision I think is really key. Um, that's my favourite part. I love getting people in, uh, but I'm also really conscious of retaining and developing is a team effort. It's not just um, the leader; it's everybody getting on board to do that. And then I really take a team approach into retaining or developing. So, Bre, are you saying there's not a, a, a phases approach to this? You've got a uh, you've got a different perspective.
1: My my mind doesn't usually work in a linear way, um, but I'm a big I, I like I think in pictures. Okay, so it's. So when you talk about attract, I use the word identify. It, it's it's They're different words, but it's almost the same, right? So I love the identification piece. And it's almost like you find a, a diamond in the rough or somebody. You, you see something in somebody or they come to you and say, I want to have a go or I want to do this. For me, I think that is a really important fundamental first step as part of any type of um, talent management program or succession planning program because... If you don't actually look for the people that you think could do it, or you don't help them themselves look at the fact that they might themselves do it, then you won't actually be identifying the true talent. Because as we've discussed, you know, over the last couple of podcasts, leadership isn't necessarily about a role. It's about what somebody does in a role, if that makes sense. It's not necessarily about, you know, the seniority of a role. It's what somebody can contribute to an organisation or a team. So, I think you know identification is really really important for me. Um, I do like to have an, um, uh, an emerging leaders framework, and the reason that I like that is I'm a big believer that you've got to be able to show people how you are taking them on the journey. And so when I talk about an emerging leaders framework, what I've seen work well and where where we've in, you know put this in place before it's, it takes people on the identification path, we actually make people apply for an emerging leaders program in the organisations I run. And I think that's a really important part of almost the development phase of, of, you know, that you spoke about. Um, And then we actually take them through the theoretical and give them the practical experience. So it's not a a, a one size fits all approach, but it is a structured approach, but probably not in specific phases, if that makes sense.
0: Mm, I love what you said around the creating the buy-in and that's something that we've been thinking about a lot internally within We Aspire how do we create that? And just this week, I asked the question of a former CEO of a large engineering company and said, how do you do that? They've got all the resources in the world because it's you know, such a big organisation. They think a lot about training and developing people and I'd say they've got world-class training. But you can have all the all of the books and resources, but if you don't apply and don't get that buy-in, then what what's the point? And I love what he said. He talked about responsibility and it going both ways. It's the responsibility of the staff member and also the responsibility of the organisation and both need to have that. And I feel, Brett, that's something that you bring in your role is that I'm going to be responsible as a leader and I often feel that too. I feel like there's that, um, for me, bringing someone into the team, it's my responsibility to deliver on what's important to them and have that open conversation where they can also have that binary responsibility for doing the work that's required. Do you think about it like that as well?
1: Well, I, I do, and I think that that responsibility piece is a really tough piece to get through, right? I mean, you know, we've got International Women's Day coming up just around the corner. And this, we could have a conversation that goes on about this specific issue about equality versus equity in this e- exact area, right? And I think, you know, when we look at talent management, there are some people that probably need to be lifted to understand or supported to understand that they've actually got capability and capacity, right? And I think I'm a really big believer in actually having those honest, hard conversations, supportive conversations, of course, to say, we think that you could do this. You've got to buy in. But not only do you have to buy in, you need to be vulnerable. You actually need to trust that we will support you, et cetera, et cetera. So I I agree with everything, absolutely everything you've said, Felicity. I think there is a a buy-in piece. And quite frankly, if you're a leader that gets somebody into a leadership role, That leader's not going to be any good unless they themselves, because we've talked about leading self, if they themselves actually don't believe that they should be in there. So the buy-in has to be two-way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Have you seen it Uh, not work well when there's no buy-in?
0: Say that again, sorry.
1: Have you you seen examples where people don't buy-in, they've been put into leadership roles and then they're just no good in the leadership role?
0: I think I've seen people say they want to be a leader, not actually know what is required and then but then not be honest about it i think that's the trickiest part is that i think the biggest challenge i've had with it is when we we have people that we're mentoring within businesses i've worked in and people aren't honest about hey look i actually don't want to be a leader i thought i did i'm sorry but i don't and there's been certain situations where i've taken on a leadership role and gone oh, you've got to have the difficult conversation. You've got to take the blame, even though it was absolutely not your fault and it was because of some jerk reason that it happened. But you're the leader, so you've got to call up the client and apologise and hear all of their complaints and say, no problem, here's how we are going to fix it and be that kind of person. And then it makes you rethink, hmm, is this really what I want? So I think it's, I don't, I'm, I just, yeah, if people can just say, Look, I thought I wanted to be a leader and I don't actually. I love XYZ, then let's put that person there. And um, I think people can hang on to it too long. And that's where the real challenges happen because they're not doing the role that's required of a leader and they're not being authentic about that.
1: And I think the one thing I would take away from what you've just said as well is as part of a talent management framework or a succession management approach or framework, whatever we're going to call it there needs to be that really honest conversation about progress. You know, if somebody is in a position and it's a new position, then they've got to have, you've got to have really honest conversations. Tell them what they're doing well, tell them what they need to work on, tell them how they can enhance. You know, and and in respect to those type of conversations, I use a really simple approach that uh, a previous board member that I worked with gave me, and it was very simple. I do all my performance conversations, all of my coaching conversations like this, keep doing then you list them, stop doing, that's the stuff where you want somebody to stop and then start doing, and that's the developmental piece. And so I think if we're talking about talent management here, you know, where I give people an opportunity, I actually sit down as I see them do it and say, right, those three things, those three phases, or those three statements to actually help them actually understand how they themselves are going. So I, I think that's a, a really important thing about the buy-in because as you say, if, if the organisation is giving the buy but the person themselves isn't looking intrinsically, then they don't really know whether or not they're doing any well.
0: Mm, and I think it can be really hard to draw that out of people because it can be a difficult thing to admit as well. And it's hard to have those conversations with people and almost like admit those mistakes, especially if you don't have that culture or that background that you've developed and that relationship that you've built with someone to have that and, and be open. So I think leaders really can demonstrate that and and it can help the conversation when you yourself as a leader can say, here are the mistakes that I've made and I, you know, I'm not good at these things either and, and try to open that up. But I found that particularly difficult to, how, like I know that you're struggling with this, but I can't help you unless you actually come forward and say that you need the help. Have you had Have you had more success than me in that? That Brett, have you got any tips for me on those kind of conversations?
1: Oh, look, I I think look, there have been examples where I've been a terrible leader. I, I'm just thinking as you were talking, Felicity. There was there was one example I will give. I was sitting around an executive leadership team table. In a really in, in an organisation, there were um, I think ten really senior people in the organisation, and I I went after one of these people, and and I, I went really hard at this bloke, and I I got a motive, I got emotional, I was reacting to what he said, not responding right, and I was I was mortified at some of the things I said, and, and I remember this guy just looking at me, and he said to me that's not what a leader should do. Now, he didn't say it, but that's what I could see in his eyes. And then I, I remember I, I literally walked out of the room in a really bad, grumpy way. And I just, I had to gather myself. And then I walked back in. The first thing I did is I actually apologized to the entire group. And I said, that is poor leadership. That is not the way that a leader should lead. That is not the way that a person who is leading a team should lead, etc. And so I think, the first thing, and this is the, the authenticity piece, um, you have to have a hard conversation with yourself if you're putting somebody into a leadership role and say, do they really have it? But then if once you're in the role, you yourself need to have a hard conversation every single day to say, are you doing what a good leader should do? This is, you know, we talked about reflection last week, etc., as part of being leading leading a team. So that's an example, a real life example, where if you don't get it right, and you don't have a hard conversation with yourself and with the people around you, you're letting everybody down.
0: And you can recover the conversation anytime. I love that you went back and I wish I had leaders come back and go, look, I totally screwed that up. Let's replay that. And I've had those conversations with my team as well, which are not easy, but feels like they have that breathing space to go, oh, okay, let's try that again. I've even had it with my husband where you go, okay, that didn't go so well. Let's just replay and regroup and do that again.
1: And I think I think the one thing that's really important about talent management, right, talent management is only as good as the people who are leading the talent, you know, and, and talent management also has to be about making sure that those who are leading the talent, say the CEO or the leader, are consistently and continually trying to be as good as they can be. You know, and that's that we're all leaders who are ever-evolving. Talent management can't be successful if those who are at the top of the tree don't recognise themselves that they've got to continue to improve their skills, their abilities, et cetera. So I think, you know, I think that's an important part of it as well.
0: Mm. And when it comes to that timeline and resources that you just mentioned there, it's certainly not, you know, the one leader at the top of the tree who's the one who's responsible, I mean, they are responsible for all of it, but, you know, responsible for delivering it. How do you think about it, I guess, more from that the non-linear approach, the networked view within an organisation. Uh, how do you think about it? Uh, you know, does that make sense across across the organisation? And, yeah, with the timelines, I'm really keen to hear how you think about that.
1: So I'm a big believer that, you know, you've got to, every single day that you're in the organisation, you've actually got to develop your people on an ongoing basis in respect of real on-the-job training, right? And I think that's through real-time conversations, etc. If you look at a short-term versus long-term piece, you know, all leaders take holidays at certain points in time, right? So what I use is I use the holidays that I'm taking as an opportunity to give emerging leaders in an organisation that I'm in the ability to actually step into the role. Um, and, and I think so that's, that's a really simple, linear way. From a network perspective across all of the leadership, I like to use talent management. This is going to come across as strange, but as a competitive way to get the best out of your leadership. Leadership. So as we all know, you know, if you look at the high high performance curve um, and leadership is exactly the same, there are going to be people who perform at a peak level when they're under a little bit of stress, when they're under a little bit of competition, athletes like that. I mean, Dean Boxall, he told us all about that recently, right? And I use talent management as a piece of that. And I make no bones about that. I I think it's a great idea to be able to say to a cohort of leaders, I'm gonna give you all an opportunity. It's gonna be based on merit. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell you what you did well and what you didn't do well, not against the opposition, but generally in respect of the expectations of the leadership levels, if that makes sense. So that's a way that I look at from a holistic network piece across the entire organization. Some people like that competitive piece, some don't. So you have gotta be really careful about it. But once again, if you use it in the right way, I can. Act, I've actually seen it work really, really well. But I've also made mistakes where it hasn't worked well, and in effect, what it's done is just created divisions within a leadership function. So you've got to be really, really careful. How do you use that type of approach, if at all, Felicity? Oh,
0: I am very competitive. I play to win. Uh, so <laughs> bring it on, Brett. I'm there. Um, yeah, I think about it. I'm just. I'm just going to reflect on that before I answer. I feel like it really fits into your overall business strategy. And I used to think it was you do your business strategy and then you've got a budget and then you've got your risk management and they're all kind of separate. But actually, I think it needs to be thought about from a holistic perspective and often a risk that comes up in, the organizations that I've run is a key person risk. And it was quite interesting when uh, my co-founder, Gillian Kenny, and myself were leading Power of Engineering and we made the call, look, it's time to move on. Uh, I'd been running it for six years and I thought it would be great to have a fresh perspective of a new leader to come forward. And I wanted to use that as an opportunity to add some more ideas into the organization. And it was quite interesting. We needed about eight volunteer roles to replace our roles um, because we took on so much and we're so passionate and I was doing 20-plus hours a week on top of my full-time day job because I just loved it and that was That was cool with me, but other people have different expectations. So thinking through, okay, what might work for myself might be different for other people. So we used a lot of it in in running Power of Engineering as part of our business strategy and a risk mitigation tool because if you're in a, a, I feel like every business is a people business ultimately because you need people to run it, but I think it actually really marries closely to mitigating a lot of those risks and being imperative to deliver on your strategy overall.
1: I like that approach to the key person risk. I think, you know, some people really like this, the structured approach of risk management. And that's exactly what that is talking about, right? And the way that I often do that from a key person perspective is I line it up. And I always like to have at a strategic level, the first pillar of any strategy that I help develop. I always put people first. And and, and the reason I talk about that is it's the, it's the pictorial, you know, the diagrammatic piece if people first is on your first left-hand quadrant of your strategy and then you're looking at key person risk from a risk management perspective, you can just drive them always back to that ongoing piece to say, well, if we don't get the management or the mitigation of the key person risk right through an employee value proposition or succession or talent management perspective, then you actually are potentially setting the organisation up to fail at a strategic level. So I think that's a really, really good way to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's and the a engineering
0: good yes. It was, I, I'm noticing all of my engineering approaches talking to you Brett and as you were as you were speaking it reminded me of when you I was a structural engineer when I first started my engineering career redundancies you build redundancies into all your buildings if this column fails what are you going to do how are you going to make it work and that does feed into that key person strategy or key person risk or what kind of skills are we going to need for the future? Okay, it's going to be a bit unknown. All right, well, let's diversify. Let's have these different perspectives in the room. Um, let's think about how we can build in those redundancies. I think we should apply engineering approaches to everything, but that's just that's just me, Brett.
1: I'd go crazy because I can't think like that. <laughs> now, speaking of engineering, let me ask you another question. So you talked about the phases to talent management before. Um, tell us what does... the the development phase really look like for you? And I see that we've got a, a question up there as well from Michael, so we'll come to that in a sec. But tell me what the development phase of succession planning looks like for you.
0: I think it's beyond where people are now. Where do they want to be that 5, 10 years in the future? And I had people say to me earlier in my career, it might not be within this organisation that you're in right now. And that was so refreshing to hear that from leadership to go, they actually really want what's best for me. And I think ultimately we've got to work out what's best for the the people that you're working with. What do they want to do? And it could potentially not be within your organisation, but then they might come back with even, even better skills. So I think really making it for the uh, employee, the staff member, whoever you've got in your team, um, what are they really looking for and what do they want? So understanding where they want to go. And I think for anyone in any decision you're making, if you don't know what the end goal is or where the goal posts are, it's really hard to make a decision now about your career, about your development. What do you want to go work on? So that's the initial thinking that I have. And, and then... We again, like you said, building those ways to test out different things of how can we improve this skill? How can we work on that? And often we've got to give a bigger picture context to to people. There was times where I was working on something really mundane and really boring, but actually that persistence and and getting that thing right and nailing it was going to help me with the next level um, of my career. So helping understand why you might be doing something that ultimately seems boring can be really helpful. How do you think about it, Brett?
1: So I think about it um, in a similar way, but I've got a a question I often ask leaders that I work with, and in particular emerging leaders. I I ask them, what would the, the ideal job that you have, what would it be if you could create it? Something along those lines, right? It's what's the dream job? And the reason that I ask that question is, as we've talked about in some of the other episodes, Leadership is leadership is leadership. It's not necessarily about the organisation. It's about the role in some instances, but it's about what the leader brings to the role, right? So the reason that I ask that question is I see an emotive and emotional response to that question when people start to think, oh, and it's not dissimilar to what you said, Felicity, about the role doesn't necessarily have to be here. It can be anywhere. So I say to people, if you could create a role, what would it look like? And then I say to them, how can we help you here get the skills or fill the gaps that you've got to get there. And I've seen that work really, really, really well. Some people don't necessarily buy into that because it's a little bit nebulous in some instances, but, you know, and some people, I've seen some people who say, well, my ideal role is yours, so how are you going to help me get there? Now, that can be confronting, right? But if you take it away from the ego, you say, okay, tell me why you think you want this role. Don't make it about me sitting in the role. Why do you want the role? What gaps do we have? And how can we get you into the role? So that's how I look at it. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a nice way to get people to getting back to that buy-in piece before to buy into the conversation themselves.
0: Mm. I found that such a hard question to answer, particularly I think if you are early in your career or you've got a lot of people who are new in your organisation and they're trying to figure out where they want to go because they often haven't had that exposure to the variety of roles that are even possible if they're starting out in their career. And I often used to think it was a set project or a set industry that I wanted to work in, like, oh, I'm going to go work on airports or, oh, I want to go work on high-rise buildings, and I can't remember who told me this or where I picked it up from, but they started to talk about the kinds of things you might get to do. So is it being creative? Is it having variety? Uh, for me, I discovered it was I love learning. So as long as I'm learning something, then I'm happy. And I often like doing the start of things. And Then when it gets repetitive, uh, I'm more the entrepreneurial part rather than the business builder part, then I get a bit, I get a bit bored. But then that's a really helpful thing to know about myself because then I can say, okay, how can I make this? learning and interesting and new. So I often think about it more from those different Types And there's actually some interesting research on that for when we're looking at getting more females into engineering, because we often talk about engineering like analyzing data or writing code or building. And it's a lot of the doing words, but actually making it more, um, you know, using words and adjectives like to describe yourself like creative, adaptable and organized, then that opens it up. So I think that can actually be a great way to break down biases as well of, oh, I'm not gonna be the kind of person that's gonna be that kind of leader or work on that kind of project. Have you seen any of that when you've had the conversation with people?
1: Look, I, I was laughing because, well, smiling because I get bored really quickly, and I don't like, I like, I like the, um, you know, the thinking stuff, the strategizing stuff. And once you get the strategy set, then it's almost like what's next. And it's, it's interesting. The question that's up on the screen at the moment from Michael, you've almost sort of addressed that, addressed that, which is, you know, some CEOs that they've spoken to, how do they attract? Um, Diverse talent into their companies when they don't have the sexy projects, and I think that's a that's an example there, right? You talk about well, you get to do these types of things rather than a specific project, if so, if, along those lines. Um, so, so I, I've, I agree with that completely. Let me this. Let me ask you this, Felicity. Um, how would you approach that not having the sexy project piece in a talent competitive environment? Oh,
0: that's a great question that we've got in from the chat. I would focus on. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Where do you want to go long term? And sometimes a smaller organization might not have the, yeah, the sexy projects of the Olympic Stadium design and that kind of thing. But you might get the opportunity to work directly with the client. And that's a super valuable skill that I think in engineering is is hugely important. So, I would look at what are those those skills that they're getting to work on that they may not get the opportunity to in a larger organisation, if that's the case. And if there aren't those opportunities and have a look at, okay, well, what does this person, again, back to your development and, and retention strategies, okay, what do they want to develop themselves in? How could I incorporate that into a project? Maybe it's something like I want to be in the leadership team. Okay, great. Well, why don't you shadow one of the leaders For the next 12 months see what they do come to some of their meetings be a part of the the board meetings or whatever it is so that they're still getting that taste while doing some of those I guess bread and butter projects that that need to keep the business running what's been your approach
1: I think that's a really good approach and I guess to some extent I've been in a situation where I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to do a really sexy project. I made mention of this a couple of, uh, in the second in the last episode. Um, but I think the key thing is you've actually got to be able to say to people you can make something good if, as you said before, Felicity, you're learning something new. And the learning something new might, may not be something technical because, as we've discussed previously over the past episodes, you can be a great leader generalist if you are actually not technical or not doing something technical. So what I like to do is I like to give, you know, emerging leaders who I work with the ability to take on something that I might normally do, you know, step into my shoes, take a small chunk. For example, you know, I've worked with a lot of boards. Sometimes it's as simple as actually asking somebody in the leadership team that you're working with to make contact with a board chair, have a conversation with a board chair about something that the board chair has asked me to come to. Now, that's a good way to grow. Um, I had a conversation just this morning about somebody who had the ability to do that, and 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 they really enjoyed it. And so I think that's an example where you just got to use real time, uh, practical examples to actually give people an opportunity, at, and it might throw them outside of their comfort zone. But it's not necessarily a sexy project, if that makes sense. So I think that's the Absolutely. difference between that's the difference between a leader who's who's working. With the person all the time, as opposed to just stepping away, and letting the leader just try themselves.
0: Mm. And I think emerging leaders, there's an opportunity there as well, and that's actually something that I applied in one of my previous roles. Was I went okay? I want to be in the leadership team. How could I get a learning opportunity? How could I help my boss out? And so I went to him and I said, "Hey." I started off with something really small and it was uh, organising the team building day. We were going to do a two-day team building day and I thought he probably doesn't have a lot of time to think about it. Hey, I'd I actually genuinely was like, I love doing this kind of stuff. I'd love to organise it. So I did the research, I briefed him, got his tick of approval and moved it forward. And then I said, hey, I want to take on more of this people function within our team, even though I wasn't the actual leader. And that was a big help. It was kind of like a relief. Oh, great, there's a a chunk of work I can delegate to Felicity that I don't have to do. Now, it wasn't part of my role. Technically, I wasn't, you know, getting paid for it. And we had this whole, you know, set up of how many hours you're supposed to do, et cetera, et cetera. But I really want to take the initiative. I wanted to demonstrate that I was someone who was going to take on things, help people out. And I also got to learn a new skill. So I think there's opportunities for people to find those hidden projects, asking what are the challenges you're dealing with? Can I help with something that you're finding difficult? Or um, it could be a people side of things that's outside your role, or it could be something technical as well. I'm seeing you're nodding, Brett.
1: <laughs> I, and I think I think that's really fascinating the way that you you know, you know may use that phrase, and I'll paraphrase here, um, It's, you know, it's not in my role, for lack of a better word. I reckon that's a clear way, in my experience, where you can tell if somebody's really invested in trying to be a leader themselves, because leadership is not necessarily about the delivery. It's about the practice. It's about the ongoing piece, right? And some of that is not actually within a certain time parameter somebody in my experience that wants to take something on to better themselves or to better an organisation or to help an organisation is often somebody who's really going to achieve. I mean, a social club is a classic example of that. In my experience, people who put their hand up to be in the social club or to lead a social club in an organisation, they are generally people who want to do something to support people. They are generally themselves great leaders because they are doing something which is not just similar to what you said about the people you know the, the the day of getting all your people together they are doing something for somebody else and so in my experience where you have people who don't want to do the extra they're probably not going to be good leaders in the long term.
0: And I think they can work both ways again like the responsibility piece that's something simple that if you are uh, in a leadership role and you want to help do this succession planning you can you know test it out with a few people and say here are these different different tasks see who takes it see who doesn't and it's also in not a mission critical piece as well because I think that can be scary is when you're giving people a a really important project and it's their first time there's opportunities to test it out uh, along the way Um, so if anyone's listening to this and they're now the head of the social club you'll know why (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> as long as they're not appointed if they put their hand up because sometimes people yeah. get pointed into these roles and they don't want to be now there's not a question from from um from online so some companies uh we're hearing about have turn ter- uh, are having turnover of 20 to 30 percent so felicity how would you go about diagnosing what the key issue is in that situation
0: well my first thought is go talk to the people and actually really find out what's going on and I remember in one organization, another senior leader um, sat down with me and, and she said, look, let's let's get a, a bunch of the, the younger engineers together and let's find out what's going on. And it was fascinating. I went for coffee for about an hour and it was, I swear, the last two minutes when they started to really open up about what was really going on. And she had no idea. It was quite shocking some of the things and behaviors that they were experiencing within that organization. and. Oh, I think a lot of it that is really doing the time and investing that, investing that time and getting serious about it. So uh, that would be the first piece, finding out what's what's really happening within a whole range of people in the, the organisation and being really present in those conversations. Um, I think if you're – I always found if I was leaving a company and you're in the exit interview and they're asking why you're leaving, it's too late. You've yeah. got to kind of figure that, that out in advance. Um, and I think there are also some global issues at play which are quite interesting um, we were hearing recently that uh, i think of course culture is a really big thing for any organization but even some of the geopolitical issues that are happening right now if you're in a global company that can be at play which i found really really fascinating so there's a lot of things that are that are outside our control so i'd say control the controllables what are those things that you can actually go work on find out what they are from within your people and you know maybe that's even an opportunity for some emerging leaders as a bit of a project to go okay you know we've got this issue how and we go solve it. Brett, how would you approach it?
1: Well, I like to get out from behind my desk and walk the organisation that I'm working in. So I think um, I'm a big believer in walking the floors and just feeling what's going on in the organisation and talking to people. I mean, um, I often just sit out, you know, in the lunchroom and work in the lunchroom and you get the feel for what's going on and sometimes people will just come up and I'll just ask the question, tell me what's going on. So I think that's a really good way. the The concern I have is, is, is if you've got turnover of twenty to thirty percent, generally it doesn't happen overnight. So what that would say to me is that there's probably been an increase over a period of time. So you know, I always when I when I meet with my with my uh, corporate services leads or my chief HR officer, I'm always looking at what are the stats on an ongoing basis, a monthly basis. So I think that's a good, you know, you've got to have a temperature gauge. You've got to take that. Walking the floor will be a temperature gauge. You often get to see when you have internal whistleblower mechanisms as well, they can be a really great identifier if people are not happy in an environment. So so they're some of the things that I do. But then getting back to the specific data piece, generally you'll be able to see from the data if it's across the board or just in one division or one part of the business. I reckon if you start looking at that, that'll tell you if there's an issue at the top with the leadership piece.
0: Mm, really interesting. And I don't know if you find this, but this, I feel like this happens to me a fair bit, is that you have people kind of informally reporting back on what's really going on. Like, oh, I heard this happening. I heard this happening. I mean, and and they're, they're not like gossiping or anything. It's actually yeah. the reality of it. I feel like when that happens, then, for me, and being I'm being very open about this, I haven't actually talked about this before. But I feel like, oh, that's good. I've got some good relationships, key people in the organisation, so I don't have to be the person that's all over all over the different departments. Is that something that you experience, Brad, or do you think that's a helpful sign if people are kind of reporting back on some of those underlying issues that you might not be seeing?
1: So I'm a big believer in a in a principle called first person, first time. So. What that basically means is if you've got something to say, say it to the person about whom you're going to talk. I really believe in that. So I, it's a good indicator, but for me, if it's the same people coming and telling me the same stuff or telling me a whole range of stuff, I start to get a little bit not sure that what they're saying is actually factually correct from the floor, if that makes sense. So I use it as a barometer, but... In some instances, where somebody comes to me and says, "Did you know about X?" One of the first things I will normally say is, "Don't tell me first person, first time. Go back and tell the person that you're talking about." If somebody is reluctant to do that, then it might be, particularly if they're, you know, in a senior role or above the person, it might be that there's a, an issue around a power imbalance or something along those lines. So, so I I do think it's 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 valuable, but I do think you've got to be really careful that people aren't handing off their problems to you because they themselves aren't looking at them, if that makes sense.
0: That's a great point. You'd, you'd want, you'd hope someone would go, look, we had this issue, we've identified it, we've resolved it, just letting you know. Because I think, yeah. uh, gosh, one of my mentors said this to me once, is uh, no surprises for your leaders. So you want to make sure that you're yeah, not having too many surprises but really take your point around, uh, yeah, you're not wanting it to be... Um, uh, the, the gossip or
1: the complain or, yeah, that one of the things I do as well with, it, with, my, with my one-on-ones, with all of my, my team, I always have one of the, the, the items on the agenda is people issues. Tell me about any people issues you've got. Tell me about any people risks. And I think having that is always a really important thing to come back and check in so that, you know, the people that you're working with actually know that it's a really important thing that they're going to have to talk about. Sometimes there'll be, there are none. Or sometimes just having the agenda on will remind people, oh, okay, let me tell you about this or this or this. And that's getting back to the question about the turnover. That is sometimes where you might start to see some of these key themes or key attributes or, you know, lead indicators starting to come out. So I think that's another option as well.
0: Yeah, awesome. So we've been talking talent pipelining, we've been talking succession planning, anything that we've missed that you think is important to share with people about
1: this topic? I think if we talk about talent management, we've got to be brave as leaders to give people an opportunity to step into a role, even though you know that they might not be ready for it completely. I mean, who is ready for any role? You know, because every role that you go into, there's going to be something that you don't know, right? So I'm a really big believer in saying to somebody, I know that you might not think you're ready and you're probably a little bit underdone, but you know what? You're going to have a go. I'm gonna support you, the leadership around you is gonna support you. I I think that that is often sometimes forgotten that the leader of the organization or a team where you're giving someone the opportunity to be talent or to be succession, you've gotta be brave enough to let your decision, that is to give somebody an opportunity, you've gotta be brave enough to let your decision fall on how that person performs. I think that, we you know, we haven't really talked about that, but I think that's a really important thing as a leader. And I think the other thing I would say is sometimes when you're doing that, there will be people who are better performers, but you actually want to give an opportunity to somebody to see if they're up for it as part of their development. That's a really important part. You can't, in my view, just give the next person the role you've always got to be looking for the right person and potentially somebody else from a talent and a succession perspective. So I think that's a really, really important piece. Anything you think we've missed out on?
0: I think we've covered a lot today. And I'm just thinking if there's anything else.
1: It's funny I when, think it's about...
0: Yeah,
1: go ahead. Sorry, Felicity. Sorry, you go.
0: So I think what it sums down to me from this discussion has been finding and creating opportunities for people. And it doesn't have to look like, Here's the set ladder of you go from this position to this position and focusing on that emerging leader is really key to have that abundance of of people and then also creating those opportunities. I think if you are someone who has an emerging leader program, you have that as your focus and it's on that key agenda item of the people issues and preparing people for that next step.
1: I think that's right. And, And one thing I was going to say is, you know, the fact that we're talking about this now, you know, I've been a CEO for about seven seven years now. Twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, there's no way we would be talking about succession planning, you know, or talent management. But that is exactly where, you know, um, the market is coming. The employer-employee relationship is coming, you know, from an attraction perspective. And you made mention of this. We've spoken about this over the last couple of podcasts. People want to go for and go and work in an organisation not only not only where they're going to be valued and everything. But sometimes people want to go there to get a skill to go and do something else. You know, talent management is about absolutely giving everybody the opportunity to be the best that they can be for as long as we can have them. So I think that's a really important thing. And that has changed significantly over 20 years or so.
0: That's so interesting because it's always just been part of the conversation and I guess that show I've had it been in the industry for 15 years, so that would make sense. You are you know, that it's b- before my time in industry and that's so interesting because it's just, I feel like it's just always been part of the conversation. So that's why it's great to have you here, Brad, and to have the different perspectives coming together. So that's all we've got time for today on the Emerging Excellence Podcast. Thanks for all those awesome questions, people commenting in the chat. Super excited about next week session Brett because we have a demographer coming on Hi. Simon he's going to be talking about some interesting stats on International Women's Day that really surprised me and things I've never thought about which I've been talking about International Women's Day for a very long time so super pumped to hear that he's going to talk population movements I also learned from Simon that I'm just like pretty much every standard millennial out there which surprised me I thought I was special and different but apparently I'm not and we'll talk about the Olympic building pipeline so Get ready, Brett. It's going to be a great discussion.
1: That does sound really, really exciting. Looking forward to that, Felicity. And it's been a great chat today. Thanks heaps.
0: Likewise.